Uh, we're going to have to spend two more weeks in Nehemiah. We are in Nehemiah chapter 13 tonight. Uh, my intention was to uh, finish this chapter. We're going to start in chapter 13, verse 3. And of course, there's, oh, excuse me, verse 4. That's where we covered until last week. And uh, uh, there's several things happening in this chapter that are very interesting. One of the things that's going to be important is Nehemiah. We're going to find out Nehemiah arrived in 445 B.C. They built the wall in 444 B.C. He's going to have spent, we're going to find out here, one of these verses, uh, 12 years there as the governor. He's going to leave his brother, apparently, Hananiah, in charge as the governor of Judea, which puts you down at, this is 3, this is 3, 433 B.C., when his time is up and he needs to go uh, back to, uh, i got to get my eraser, back to uh, Persia and uh, meet with Artaxerxes because he, I've got an eraser up here. That's why I don't bring it. Where'd my eraser go? Look at that. Someone took my eraser. That's why I didn't have an eraser. Um, so he goes back. Now, I, we don't know how long a time he's gone. He's gone for some time right here. I'm going to say it's some, again, I, I don't know. I looked in commentary trying to figure out some kind of information. I'm going to say, this is my I, two to five years. He could have just been gone a couple months because you've got to travel all the way back. It's a long journey. Uh, and then you've got a journey all the way back. And th you're not just making these things like summer trips. Plus, when he comes back, there's been a great decline. We just got done last chapter, the, the, the dedication the temple's up and running. They've made a commitment. The week before we talked about they made a, 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 not a new covenant, they renewed the old covenant where they're going to pay their tithes. The Levites have come in from the rural areas. The priests are there. The temple is functioning. In our mind, in my mind, my Sunday school mind, if the temple's there, it's up and running. But when you look in the Bible, if they stop paying their tithes, the priests and the Levites can't work because we need food they're in survival mode they stop showing up and people really don't care and so this becomes some some other uh, it's a great area uh it's a great public facility and so they start using it for other things the priests are going to leave well nehemiah had brought everybody back in got it up and running but by the time he comes back here in chapter 13 he's going to come back uh so let's say 33 it could be 431 all the way to say 428 bc and again, this is me guessing when he returns in, back to Judea. And there's been a great decline. And the great decline includes, and we'll see, they've stopped paying their tithes and their offerings, which is not, they're not just giving them to God. They are offering sacrifice to God, but they're giving supplies to the temple to provide for the priests and the Levites who are doing all this work, which includes the sacrifices, the uh, take uh, caretake of the temple it involves the teaching all the holy days well now you've got all these people they've gone back into the rural area trying to find employment most likely farming sometimes their own land most likely well now this is wide open the leadership is not interested in it because we have other ideas and so now they start using this for other purposes and we're going to find out when he gets back uh tobias the ammonite uh is in one of the rooms. One of the storerooms was empty. We're not even using this. Why aren't they using the storeroom? Now, one of two things happened. 
they took uh, and just got rid of all the tithes and all the food and all the supplies for the Levites. They said, Tobias, we want you to live here. Or they ran out of supplies. No one was collecting the supplies. The Levites disappear. And they say, hey, we've got an open room here. You want to move in here? And so Tobias, one of Nehemiah's arch enemies throughout this book, during his absence, moves into one of the storerooms where they're supposed to be collect, like the grocery stores, the storerooms for the priest, because no one's using it, and he's operating there. And what's he doing there? He's not just living on the prime real estate, got a cheap apartment. He's got to be there. It doesn't say specifically, but he's got to be there for some political reason, some kind of power base, and he's got alliances. During this whole time, by the time we get to the end of the chapter, the high priest is involved with this, and Sanballat, or Sanballat, however you want to end up saying it, the Samaritan, he has, his daughter is married to the high priest's grandson. So these guys, Tobias the Ammonite and Sanballat, uh, the Samarian, they're intermarried with the priesthood, and Nehemiah comes back to this mess. It's like, and that's, that's where we're at. We're going to see uh, chapter 13, verse 3, at the top of page 1, Tobiah in the chamber on the temple court. And then page 2, verse 10, the Levites are not supported, and the temple is not functioning. Um, page 4, the Sabbath is being violated, meaning they're not even observing the Sabbath. Now, Nehemiah's got to reinforce. Now, when, when Nehemiah left, remember, Ezra's been part of this too. They've been reading the law. Ezra's had all this reform. His purpose for coming back was to Ezra's was to enforce the law of Artaxerxes and teach the law of Moses. Artaxerxes is positive towards the Jewish return and the Jewish law. They are paying taxes to the Persians, they are following the Persian law, but Artaxerxes has no trouble with them implementing these procedures. Well, Ezra came to do that, and now, sometime after 433, again, I can't give you an exact date, somewhere probably around 431, 420, by that time, Ezra's teaching's been forgotten already, Nehemiah's reforms have been countered, and Sanballat, the Samaritan, and Tobias, the Ammonite who opposed Nehemiah, once Nehemiah leaves, they move in and go, wow, he's really updated the place, and they move in and take over. Uh, and then the bottom of page 6, we won't get to this night, there's been more intermarriage with foreign women and children who do not speak Hebrew. This is when Nehemiah gets back. So that gives you a clue. If he leaves in 433, by the time he comes back, Ezra stopped remarriage, Nehemiah or intermarriage with other nations, and the reason for that is not racial superiority, it's cultural. We are Jews teaching the Jewish law. You start marrying other people, they're going to be bringing their holidays, they're going to be bringing their culture in, uh, and in this case, they're bringing their language in, and the children are not learning Hebrew, they're learning some other language of the surrounding nations. If they're not learning Hebrew, they're not learning Yahweh worship, they're not learning the law of Moses, they're learning Gentile culture. So in Nehemiah, by the time Nehemiah gets back, you've got Gentiles living on the temple, not just in Jerusalem, living on the temple mount. 
You've got Gentiles living in the city. You've got Jewish children that are part Gentile in Judea and Jerusalem. They can't even speak Hebrew. Remember how they had trouble when Ezra read the law and the Levites were going around and communicating. They're translating it, trying to explain it. Well, now you've got children that don't even understand Hebrew and they were making progress. They're right back to where they were. And, and the point is, nobody cares. There's only one person here of the leadership that's even going to say, this is a problem. It's Nehemiah who comes back to it. Otherwise, it, this paints the picture in this book that if Nehemiah had, hasn't returned, if Nehemiah doesn't come back, Israel's done. I mean, they just, they just blend into the cultures. And, and like we talked about last night in, in class, like, like Steve said, it made a, I, I didn't realize this, but Josephus is why we understand the Jewish wars with Rome in 66 and 70 because he wrote so much information about it. For the Romans, it was just another day out in the battlefield. They win a battle. They come home. We'd have the, you know, the, the Arch of Titus. We'd have some references to it. But as far as that, it would just be just lost into history. Well, and it, it, it's guys like Josephus and some of the, the, the Jewish writers that have kept this idea going, especially with the, the Old Testament. Well, this whole thing could have been forgotten and erased. And when it comes time for the Messiah to come into his temple and pronounce himself as the king and the sacrifice, it's, it's, a, it's a shrine to Zeus or something. And these people are, you know, Egyptian or Samaritans. It's like, and so this is, I mean, you say, this is not about racial superiority. This is about preserving the truth and the message the purpose of God so all these things can be fulfilled. So with that introduction, um, I'm going to begin reading chapter 13, verse 3 in the NIV. Excuse me, chapter 13, verse 4. And my intention was to finish the chapter tonight, and we're not going to. But I'm going to read to the end of the chapter, and you'll hear these, these breaks as far as what's going on. So chapter 13, verse 4. Before this, Eliashib the priest, remember this is the priest, the high priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of God, he was closely associated with Tobiah, the, the Ammonite, the Gentile. And he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles and also the tithes of the grain, new wine, oil prescribed for the Levites, singers, gatekeepers, as well as the contributions to the priest. So all these things were gone, the, the grain, the incense, but also there's some temple articles. Some of the temp things that they used in the temple were stored in there. They've all been moved out. But while all this was going on, he's, Nehemiah says in verse 6, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, again, he's saying king of Babylon because his capital was in Babylon or in Susa or in Persepolis, depending on the time of the year. That does not mean the Babylonian Empire. That means that's where his residence was. Could have been Persepolis or Susa. Uh, it's the Persian Empire. The king of Babylon, I had returned to the king because that's who he works for. Again, that's amazing that he gave him that 12-year break. I'm going to go see how's it going on in Jerusalem. I and mean, he basically appointed Nehemiah to be the governor for a 12-year period. Like he had a four-year stint as a, as a president, four-year term. Nehemiah got a 12-year term as governor, and then he's got to report back to Artaxerxes. Again, something takes place right there. Nehemiah convinced him to send him back to double-check. His brother Hananiah is serving as the governor, uh, and apparently he didn't have the leadership skills or whatever, uh, but got outplayed, and he begins losing control. 
Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem, just like he asked the first time. We don't know anything about this conference. He brought him the cup. Why are you downcast? Well, we don't know why, how it happened. But he asked me, and in our text, he says yes, and gave him another period of time. We don't know for sure how much time that was. We got a few clues. I might refer to them if, as we go by them. Here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib, the priest, had done in providing Tobias a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased. Now again, we'll get into this when we get here. And threw all Tobias' household goods out of the room. So that would be everything he had. All the movable objects he moved in, he threw them out, either out in the temple courts or over the wall out into the streets. And... Uh, I was greatly displeased and threw all of Tobias' household goods out of this room. I gave orders to purify the rooms and then put back into them the equipment of the house of God. Those are all the, the vessels and the equipment that were used in the temple that they moved out so Tobias could move, move out the things of God so they can move the Gentile in to the temple courts. Which, I mean, it's like, that does, how, how, did, how did it decline that far that fast? How could the how, what kind of high priest would say that's a good idea? I mean, it'd be like it'd be like the Pope like approving of you know transgender and gay marriage or something. I mean, it'd be that ridiculous if you can imagine that. I can't, you, you know what I'm saying? Um, I gave orders to purify the rooms and then put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them. Now I learn, why is he living here? Well, we weren't using it. Why weren't you using it? We don't have anything to put in there. No one's collecting the grain, the, the offerings, the tithe. And that all the Levites and singers responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. I mean, they gave up on the people because the people aren't interested. The people, the leadership is not asking or requesting. The Levites aren't going out to uh, gather it. So it's like, it'd be like going to hy V and there's no food. You've got to come up with plan B. And their plan was go out and start farming. So I rebuked the official. And we'll come back to that word. He's going to twice use a word like that. That's rebuke in the NIV. It's confronted in the English standard. And the word is rib in the Hebrew, which means it's, it's a lawsuit. It's a legal case. He doesn't just rebuke them. It's like whine, 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 whine. You shouldn't be doing that. It's like here's the paperwork. I'll see you in court. Well, what kind of law would back him up? Well, Persian law, Levitical law, and so he's taking these guys to court. Puts that whole thing in perspective. Be careful. Uh, I, sometimes you read stuff online, and I was reading about someone had trouble. What, when do you sue a brother in Christ? And uh, I, I never reply, very, very rarely reply to anything unless it's right on my Facebook page. But uh, I think, well, when would you take a brother to court? It's like, well, in, brother in Christ, well, when, when it's an illegal illegal event well paul says you shouldn't take your brother to court it's like okay so now christians can't sue now here oh boy I, this is thin ice because we need a whole discussion on this but that blanket statement christians shouldn't sue christians so now if you have a legal situation you have no alternative except to try to work it out well the guy's a criminal he's behaving in a criminal way it's like yeah but he's a brother in christ okay your brother's in Christ, but he has gone into criminal activity. It's illegal. Well, I, we just got to negotiate. You're negotiating with a criminal. He, he's ripping you off. Some, it's like, so when do you go to court? 
Well, I think when it's an illegal activity, you can go to your brother in Christ, but if he's going to be a criminal, you've got to go to court. Again, whoa, you know, that's, we're way out of bounds here, and I, I, I may have to study that and come back and read it. But it's like, no, you, your first option is, is don't have disputes in the church, but if someone is like skimming money off the, off, out, of the, out of the church coffer, it's like, well, we better resolve this. It's like, well, no, I'm, I'm investing that in real estate. It's like, you'll never find that money. It's like, well, we should resolve this. Well, go ahead. I'm not going to resolve it. It's like, what, what's your option? Well, I'm going to take you to court. Can't. We're Christians. It's like, uh, well, here's, if you want it, here's, here's, here's two verses. The first of them coming up tonight. Um, verse 11, so I rebuked the officials. They had not been collecting the tithe. The, the money for the Levites was gone. And so he goes to the officials, the, the nobles, the leaders, and rebukes them, which in the NIV translates rebuke. You know, you should not have done that. I'm rebuking you. Thank you. We're still not going to do anything about it. It's the word rib or rub, depending on how you read, to read it in the Hebrew, and it means a, a lawsuit. I will take you to court. I've got Levitical law that says you need to be collecting this, and I've got, I, I'm working for the Persian court system. And so we will resolve this. So when he rebukes them, I think he brings in paperwork. It's like, we're going to go to the courts of Persia and get this resolved. Again, I, I overspeak that possibly, but that word is not just, he was very upset. It's like, no, he takes legal action in such a way that I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? That's what the, you've neglected the house of God. I came here, Ezra came here, we rebuilt it under Persian orders. We've got the wall, we had it set up, and you have neglected your responsibility under Persian law, under the law of the land, which is the Mosaic law. You are guilty and will prove it in the court, Persian or Levitical. Uh, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their post. All Judah brought the tithes of grain, new wine, and oil into the storeroom. So all of a sudden, everybody's changing the direction. It's like, oh, thanks, Nehemiah. We just forgot to bring it in. Maybe he just rebuked them. They all go, oh, we're so ashamed of ourselves. Or maybe it became, the, went through the law system. It's like, bring it in. Just like you pay your taxes. They never, listen, they never stopped paying their taxes to the Persian government. How do we know that? There would have been repercussions that would have been shown up somewhere. There would have been a military invasion. There would have been some kind of, we came to collect the taxes. We'll take these people, we'll take this property, and we'll take all of your privileges. So they've been paying their taxes. So something happened here where you need to start paying this tithe or this tax also. And they all started, you know, the IRS shows up and they all started paying their taxes again or their tithe. Again, I'm reading between the lines, obviously. If you want to just say Nehemiah showed up, he chewed them out. They said, we feel really bad. And they all started bringing their money back in. Okay, thank you. I should have came back last week. All Judah brought the tithe of grain, new wine, and oil into the storerooms, which had previously been occupied by Tobias. I put, now he breaks down who he does. He's got four people. I put Shemaiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, Levi the, uh, uh, and a Levite named Padiah in charge of the storeroom. So you got a scribe, a priest, and a Levite. And again, what's the scribe for? Record keeping of all the things, who's paying and who owes. 
and made Hanan, son of Zakur, the son of Mataniah, their assistant, because these men were considered trustworthy. They were made responsible for distributing the supplies to the brothers. So they collected it, they documented it, and they distributed it in an orderly fashion to the Levites. Now the Levites are back in town. The Levites are ready to work, but there's also money to be paid for them to be there. Now he writes in verse 14, Remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its service. And the word in, one of the words in there for faithfully done or his service is the word uh, hasid, which is used when God talks about, I have loved them with a covenant love. I love Israel. That's not the emotional, oh, there I love them it means I have a covenant with them if you mess with Israel I have a covenant I will mess with you because why Hasid I have a covenant and every time I'll do the same thing because we have a covenant sometimes it's it's a a, 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 a what I'm trying to think of the words and I just slipped my mind an unconditional covenant. I've chosen Abraham, and I will always choose Abraham. Sometimes it's a conditional. If you do this, then I'll do this. This is a con- unconditional. Israel has been chosen. Nehemiah is using that same word. I have so faithfully, or Hasid, done these things. He's saying, in my co- because I'm in this covenant with God, I am doing these things. How do you show your, quote, love for God? Well, I just love the Lord. He says, no, I am doing these things because I have a covenant relationship with God. I will not break this covenant. I'm going to keep my end, and God is keeping his end. And that's what that, he's saying, Lord, remember that I am keeping my end of the covenant. You've been gracious to me. I'm going to do these things for you. And he's saying that because he's alone. I mean, his only, he, he's not getting any benefit on this side of history. He's not getting any friends in this city. Tobias's enemy is in the courts. Sanballat from the Samaria, he's been against Nehemiah since the beginning. He's already still in play. So he's just, Nehemiah is standing alone saying, I'm doing this because of what God has promised to me and my people. I'm counting on, just like you promised me, I'm doing it for you, and I'm reminding you that I plan on you keeping your end of the covenant. It's not a threat. It's, it's, it's that, that eternal circle. God has promised, I'll respond. I'm knowing God is going to keep his promise. We're going somewhere bigger than this. In those days, I saw men of Judah trading wine presses on the Sabbath. So this is men of Judah. That would be outside of the city. Trading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys. So they're trading grain or trading wine in the rural areas. They're loading shipments of grain to bring them into the city to sell, set up shop on Sabbath. Um, And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. So no one's keeping the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. I warned them, don't do this. Men from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem. So Tyre, if we had a map up here of the land, well, you see back here, here's the northern, northern border of Israel right there. Tyre is in well, excuse me, that'd be Samaria, but it'd be up in here, 12 miles north of the Samaritan border at this time. It'd be Israel's north border. So it's up here in Phoenicia. It's 12 miles from there, and then, you know, several miles back down. 
but they not only had fish, fish came from the Sea of Galilee also, they not only had fish, but from Tyre, they were merchants that went into the Mediterranean world. And they were great seafaring merchants. And so they had uh, um, products, merchandise, commodities from all across northern Africa. They had it from Asia, from Greece, all over to Tarshish. This whole Mediterranean world was coming in. This was, it was funneling into Phoenicia. And from there, the people of Tyre were coming down to Jerusalem along the fish that they could get out of the Mediterranean and selling it on the Sabbath. Uh, so men from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise. That merchandise was from all across them. It wasn't just something you could get down the street. It's something that could, you could only get from the men of Tyre and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. So the Gentiles weren't honoring the Sabbath because the Jews weren't honoring the Sabbath. They may set up shops. Jews may walk by and say, oh, we can't buy anything. It's the Sabbath. But they weren't. The Jews were buying stuff. It was just like another day. So notice what he does. Verse 17. I rebuked the nobles. And again, if you allow me to repeat, that's exactly the same word. Rib. I rebuked or English standard, I confronted or it's got a heavy indication. I brought legal charges against the nobles. I, I took it to court. You can't do this. It's against the law of Moses. It's against the Persian code of what they want us doing. I've got Persian courts coming right up your door. You, you want this? Well, I'm bringing the lawsuit. Again, when he says, I rebuke, you can say, he just rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing you are doing? Desecrating the Sabbath day. That would be the heading of the legal case. They're desecrating the Sabbath day. Desecrating you know, it sounds like a very dirty word. You know, they're, they're really doing something perverted with the holy day. All it means is this day has been set apart for the Lord. You are desecrating it by taking it from here and bring it over here and using it like you want to. You're not doing anything immoral. You're not doing anything wrong. You're just using something holy, something set apart, something sanctified for God for yourself. So it doesn't mean like, what kind of perverted wickedness were they doing? They're shopping. They're, they're just buying food. They weren't planning ahead. They weren't having a day of preparation. We're just like taking what we gave the Lord, taking it back and bring it to ourselves. That's so the lawsuit was, they're desecrating the Sabbath day. And then, then here's his reason for it, which makes a lot of sense. And you you'd think, yeah, well, they, they don't know this. But if anybody knows this, these people should know this. And he says, didn't your forefathers do the same things so that our God brought all this calamity upon us and upon this city? What, what, what's all this calamity? Well, the fact that we've still got Gentiles occupying and giving us pressure because we've lost our country, we lost our nation to the Assyrians and the Babylonian invasion. We were in captivity, if you want to say 70 years, and you can count it several different ways, and now we've come back and we're trying to rebuild, we shouldn't be rebuilding. We should be in, you know, their 600th year after Solomon's glorious temple. They should be like in their 6th or 700th year of national supremacy. But instead, they're trying to build from the ground up. Why? Because you didn't follow the covenant that God made with you. And now we finally are digging our way back out. We've dedicated the walls. We've got the temple up. We've got the Levites. Everybody's paying their tithes. Okay, our future looks good. And then you go right back to what got us in trouble in the first place. How does this make any sense? Is basically what he's saying. 
Didn't your forefathers do the same thing so that our God brought all this calamity upon us and upon this city? And again, that calamity came in 586 B.C., but it's still happening here. They're still trying to dig themselves out of the 586 disaster. Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath, by taking God's day and bringing it over here, making it your day. When the evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not open until the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no, that no load could be brought in and on the Sabbath day. So not only does he bring the laws, he says, you better start doing this. Hey, I'll help you. As the, as the shadow was moving, before, you know, because when the sun sets, the trumpet sounds and the Sabbath has begun. So as the shadows were going before the sun set, you know, if it's 10 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour, you know, late afternoon, whatever it was before the sun set, the gates are going closed, guards are being posted, and the sun sets. You can't go out. You got to stay here, and we'll open the gates when the sun sets on the, it'd be on, on the Sabbath. So, you know, and you'd open up for the evening if you wanted to do that. So <clears throat> that's what he's doing. Uh, and stationed my own men at the gates so that no load could be brought. So military guards forcing the people to obey the Sabbath. Once or twice, guess what? Once or twice, the merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods, that would be the tire, people from Tyre, spent the night outside Jerusalem, outside the gates. But I warned them and said, why do you spend the night by the wall? In other words, the, the, the sun's going down. They just, they go, well, we're not going home. We'll just set up out here. The gates will be closed tomorrow, but the people can go out the doorway, come outside and buy stuff. We'll just set shop up outside. We won't be able to set up inside the city. We'll just set up outside all these gates, especially the fish gate right here. That's the road that comes in from Tyre. And then tomorrow, the people just come out and buy from us. So they're, the Gentiles are going to, they're just used to, they're used to doing whatever they want to here in Jerusalem, sand belay. Were Sambalay and Tobiah scared of, of the Jews? No, because they moved into the Temple Mount. Are the people of Tyre like, ooh, Nehemiah? Let's just wait out here. And Nehemiah then, he says, why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will lay hands on you. Now, that, what, what's that mean? Uh, that's a nice way of I will use physical violence to get you out of my way. Now, Nehemiah's not going to come out. Now, look, he's been... He's been in the Persian court. He's been in Jerusalem 12 years. He's gone back. Now he's come back for another term. I mean, how old is the guy? He's not going to go out there and kung fu fight everybody. Uh, but he's got Persian soldiers that are traveling with him. Uh, I will lay hands on you. Oh, not me personally, but these guys. And now you've got the, per ter the merchants from Tyre facing the Persian military. And the Levitical guards that are trained with a sword or knives uh, he says, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. So it's like, well, did it work? When he, Nehemiah says, I'll lay hands, I told you, no. Next time, I'll be here with military force. Well, I ain't going back. I ain't going back either. And from then on, once or twice they showed up after that, people of Tyre says, it, it, it ain't worth it. It ain't worth messing with Nehemiah and his lawsuits and his military escorts and the Levitical uh, uh, Levites, Levites. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day 
holy. And once again, remember me for this, O my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. And that is, again, the second time he asked for it. You see two lawsuits, possibly. Again, if you would just want to say he went out and says, you shouldn't do this, and they all stopped doing it, you can go with that. Or he brought some kind of legal pressure, followed with military threat, and they all started. And he says, Lord, I'm doing this not because it makes me popular in Jerusalem, not because I'm getting rich. I'm doing this because this is part of my covenant response to your love to Israel. It's my love to you. I will enforce your law. And so that is where we're at. we got more coming up. Now he finds out there's people intermarrying, and that's the next verses coming up there. Now, with the notes, very quickly, we already read through it, and now I've just got a few highlights to show you. Um, I know this could get redundant, but I don't want to miss a few things. Here we go, page one, the notes. Now, before this, Eliashib the priest who was appointed over the chambers of the house, this is the English Standard Version of God, and who was related to Tobiah. Uh, there I've got in the box the word allied or related uh, that's down point four is allied or related to uh, Tobiah and Eliashib were allied that can mean like a political alliance but it means near close relative kinsman it's used in Ruth 2:20, for example that Boaz was related to Naomi and Ruth that could mean reason Tobias is or Tobiah is in there is he is somehow related now now again he's he's an ammonite and the high priest is jewish how could they be related intermarriage they've got some kind of marriage covenant and now they're sharing each other's families estates and you're sharing israel's inheritance with the ammonites and it's like because they had some kind of related again they were related at some level maybe they had a political allegiance maybe they shook hands maybe they were friends maybe they had actually become related and now you've got the breakdown of israel you've got the breakdown of the religion the culture the the lineage everything and that happened while he was gone and again uh over the chambers uh the high priest point to the high priest had failed by doing this allowing a gentile to be and dwell in the temple courts he wasn't just had an office there he had moved in uh, the high priest was not collecting the tithe the high priest was not maintaining temple worship you got to understand the temple is not functioning. If you've got Tobias living there in the courts, it's like it's not operating like it's supposed to. It, it may not even be functioning. They may have, you know, card games or pool tournaments going on. I mean, who knows what's going on? It may have, you know, dog races, chicken fights. I mean, who knows what's going on up there? It, it's, or if it is religious, it's compromised and it's got the Ammonite, which now you're bringing over the Ammonite gods, the Samaritan gods, and all this, again, boy, all this is going to spiral out of control because the Samaritans are eventually going to have to just be rebuked and they're going to go just a few miles to the north and make their own temple and they're going to create, their, they're going to have their own priest because they're going to bring some of the priests from here because they're going to intermarry with the Samaritans. They're going to bring them, they're going to be rejected here. They're going to go up and make their own temple that Alexander the Great will destroy up on Mount Gerizim. And that's where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman and she asks, she is so confused. The Samaritan woman is so confused. What is it, John chapter 4? Off the top of my head. Uh, she's so confused. She says, uh, we're, we're, you know, you're a prophet of God. Where should we worship God? In Jerusalem or here? Because both places are holy places. And Jesus says, you Samaritans, you don't know what you worship. Jesus sided with the Jews. 
but had pity on the Samaritan woman who inherited a bunch of confusion. Uh, but anyway, that's all going to spiral out of control after this into the next two, three hundred years. And Jesus is going to have to pick it up. Um, and that whole story of the good Samaritan is not to, to say the Samaritans were good. It's to say that he responded the right way. Jesus, no one ever supports the Samaritan religion. It, they had twisted it. They had rejected it. They had violated this temple, gone from their own. But they still had a chance to return and do the right thing. So Jesus, by saying the good Samaritan, wasn't saying, ah, oh, they've got the right religion. Someone could twist, oh, well, they were right. The Jews were wrong. No, the Jews were in the right place, had the right documents, not necessarily doing the right thing. But the Samaritans, Jesus said it, you don't know what you worship. I mean, you're not even close. Okay. Uh, uh, Tobias, point five, Tobias had, all, had, always been, or had always had support from the elite and the leading Jews. And this is the thing you've got to remember. Nehemiah had spent 12 years here. Imagine spending 12 years building the walls, reestablishing the temple, governing the land, and the whole time, Tobiah never really goes away, and Sambalay never really goes away. Within your government, you've got people that are still talking behind your back, making agreements behind your back, and once Nehemiah leaves, they all come right back in. It's like, uh, I don't know, it'd be like becoming president, and then all the bureaucracy stays in place, and they're still faithful to the previous administration, and everything you try to do they're chipping away and confusing the paperwork and, and, and making false allegations, and you never can get anything done because the previous administration's got everybody in place. Nehemiah inherited that. And for 12 years, he fought it, and after he left, it all resurfaced. He'd been fighting that the whole... He never conquered the bureaucrats. He never conquered the elites. He never conquered the nobles because they had sweeter deals with the Samaritans and, and the Ammonites than they did with their God with their law. They never understood it. So, I mean, that's, that's sad to see him fighting that battle. Uh, uh, he, point, chapter 13, verse 5, uh, he had uh, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering. <coughs> Again, reason not putting it there, it, it apparently had run out. Frankincense, the vessels, the ties of grain, the wine and oil, which were given to the commandment of uh, by commandment to the Levites, the singers, the gates. Again, the singers are supposed to be singing. They're supposed to be singing in the temple, and it's provided by the tithe. They're supposed to be gatekeepers, keeping anything impure out. Keeping what? Impure. Like what? An Ammonite? You can't come in here because the Levites won't let you in there. Well, the Levites, they're not there to guard the gates. The, guard, the gatekeepers are gone. And contributions for the priest. Now, I would assume that Eliashib has plenty of what he wants. The high, I'm sure the high priest is not hurting. He's still there functioning. Everybody else has gone home. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem for, the 30, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes. I'll show you the date here. I went, to be, I went to the king. He went back home to Susa or Babylon. And after some time, I asked leave of the king. Uh, Nehemiah had been governor of Judah for 12 years. I've got it written down there. Nehemiah then returned to Artaxerxes. I, I said all these things. We don't know a lot of things. But I can tell you this. Um, in 407, which is quite a ways away from 428, the best, you know, when he came back, I'm saying possibly it would be 431, possibly 428, you know, if you go two to five years later. That's when he came back. By 407, which is really a long ways away, but by 407 B.C., the governor 
of Judah is uh, 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 Begohai, Begohai, uh, which is from the Elephantine papyri, which is down in Egypt, down the Nile, or going up the Nile River. The Jews had settled there. A bunch of papyrus was discovered. They're writing letters back and forth with Ju- Ju- Jerusalem because that's the, where the temple's at, and they're in communication. And they mentioned in 407, writing a letter, a papyrus, to the governor. And by 407, Nehemiah is not the governor, which obviously isn't surprising, which really help, doesn't help us much. Uh, the 32nd year of Artaxerxes was ap- between April 1st, 433, and April 19th, 432 B.C. I came to Jerusalem, and then I discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber. See, the, the high priest had prepared a chamber. He took the chamber and prepared it for him. And then Tobiah moved all of his furniture and all of his stuff. Why? I mean, is he trying to find a nice place to rent? I don't think so. It's got to be a place of power. It's got to be some kind of a position. It's got to be some kind of representation. He's got an office over in Ammon, but he's also got a headquarters on the Temple Mount. It's got to be some kind, he's got some kind of authority here, I'm thinking. It's not just, I just can't find a place to live. I want to really live in Jerusalem. Well, there's a nicer place to live than in the middle of the Temple precincts. I mean, you can find some nice places, but this is where the office, this is where the complex, it's got to be about power, I think. And in Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 8, again, this is being written from his, copied from his memoirs, meaning this is him writing, and I was very angry. He comes back and he finds, what, Tobiah, my enemy? You've let, he, where's, the, where's, the, where's the priest? Where's the Levites? What's he doing here? Well, we've made some changes. I was very angry. And I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Again, did Nehemiah go in there and start throwing things? Like Jesus started tipping over tables? Jesus actually tipped over the tables. He didn't have his disciples do it for him or his military. Jesus did it. Did Nehemiah go in and start throwing things out? I, I think he was mad enough to. I, I would think that, yeah, he's throwing stuff. But, I, I mean, he's not just wandering around the empire by himself. He's got a Persian escort that they probably helped him. And then where did he throw it? He threw it out. Out in the temple courts? I mean, it's really reminiscent of what Jesus did to the tables. Or did he throw it out of the temple courts themselves, like over the wall, out of the streets? Anyway, the point is, he got rid of it. And the household goods, that word would refer to vessels, equipment, implements, and basically anything that was movable property that you'd moved into your, your office, your residence. Then I gave orders, and they cleaned the chambers, and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God, the grain offerings, and the frankincense. So they had to clean it, meaning it had been defiled because it was used for something secular. It had to be cleansed and rededicated to God, and then they brought everything back in, and now he's, he's reestablishing, he's reestablishing what he had established. Everything was up and running, 445, 433, everything's up and running. He comes back. He's got to start by getting the Gentiles. It was worse than it was the first time. The Gentiles were actually moved in the temple courts. So he has to start there. Chapter 13, verse 10. I also found out that the portions of the Levites that had been given to them so that the Levites and singers who did, not, who did the work, they had fled each to his field. Again, notice the word, had fled. I mean, it's not just they moved, they migrated. I mean, it's like for survival. Like you might flee to, you know, a homestead. You're, you have to survive. They fled. 
Um, and it's at point one, basically Nehemiah found the Levites were broke, their storehouses depleted, and no one was refilling them with the tithe. Uh, this was a part of the problem of the people. It was part of the fault of the Levites for not collecting it. Ultimately, it was a failure of the high priest and the leadership or the elites for letting this happen. And they probably let it happen on purpose because the Levites probably wanted to stay there. It would be similar to someone allowing our borders to be open and just letting people come across. It's like the country is collapsing. Why don't the elites do something about it? They, they want it to collapse. Why did you not collect the tithe? We want the Levites and the priests to disperse so we, the few elites, along with the, the Ammonites, can take control of this power base. So if we stop collecting, we stop feeding them, they've got to disperse. We can reduce the power to a handful of us elites right here. And that's what Nehemiah comes back, a handful of elites controlling this. It's like, why, why, did, the, why did you let this happen? Because we wanted the people to get chaotic and disperse so we could take the power. If the priests are there, the Levites, all the power's dispersed. There's singers, there's guard keepers. I've got to follow the law because everybody's watching each other. But with this case, we're in charge. Anybody says it's not going to happen. Not on his watch. Um, and so we continue to talk about that. And chapter, I'll quit here. Chapter 13, verse 11. Here it is. So I confronted the officials and said... And I've got that word in a box right there. Uh, and above it, it says, to take one stand. The Levites were reinstated. Oh, excuse me. I got, there's two parts here. They were reinstated. Uh, point two, confront. So that word in the box means they were basically reinstated to take one stand. They were put back into their place. So he takes the Levites, puts the, gives them their authority back into their place. So they're back in. They established the, the, the mass of the priests, the mass of the Levites were back in their places of power and authority. And then, point two, confront or contend is rib or rub, which means to strive or to contend. And that's where I said that would be a lawsuit. So he, he, he readjusts the, uh, the power base, brings the Levites back in, and takes the leadership to court, which include the Levitical court and the Persian court. Then he organizes that so they collect the grain and Chapter, verse 12 and 13, they're collecting the grain. He's got new leadership as far as who's going to oversee the distribution. And they're putting, the, instead of having Tobias live in the storehouse, the storehouse now has the grain, the oil, the wine for the Levites and the priests. Their grocery store is reestablished. And, I mean, he's basically rebuilding the country. He's making uh, the Temple Mount great again is what he's doing, if that makes sense to you. I mean, it's so, it's so parallel, so parallel, I think. Uh, and then we pick up next week, chapter 13, verse 5, uh, the violation of the Sabbath. We refer to that, and we'll finish the book next week. Um, and we will have class next week. Uh, it'll be the day after Christmas. If you're busy, I understand. But I can't figure out an excuse why, you know, I can't show up at 7 o'clock on Tuesday night, the day after Christmas, and teach Bible. So I will be here, and uh, you, you can too. But if you're busy, I thoroughly understand that. I don't want to put them on the spot. That's okay. Hey, okay. We got two people. Okay. Now, I don't want to. I don't want to roll the dice. I've never had anybody. I've never had an empty Bible study in 23 years, so I don't want to 
roll the dice and blow my streak and have no one show up for a Bible study because I scheduled like at 2 o'clock Christmas Eve in the morning. It's like, no one showed up. I can't believe it. Okay. I'll pray and you're free to go. I do appreciate you being here. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We thank you for your word. We ask that we, again, would handle it diligently, that we'd apply it to ourselves and our own lives, that we'd evaluate our world, our own actions, our own thoughts according to your word, and ask that we would act in a way that would be pleasing to you, that we can respond to your great love for us by being obedient and pleasing you with the way we live our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, thank you for being here.